I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. The one that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. This episode of Spaces Podcasts is supported by Infratech. Bring indoor comfort to outdoor living with Infratech Comfort Heaters. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Jason. Good morning. And you are listening to Spaces Podcasts Express. Thank you for coming back, everybody. Jason, you you started telling me something offline. You're you're, you're experimenting now. Yeah, so I recently, I was going to tell you, I recently got into drinking tea, like hot tea, right? Um, and this is this is not to uh, get rid of energy not. drinks. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, I do prefer my Monster Ultras. Um, I only drink the Ultras, so there's no sugar and uh, like half the crap that goes in the other one, supposedly. <laughs> supposedly. Um, but uh, that is really the the only bad thing that I probably ingest, and it's most likely killing me from the inside out. But whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so a couple of weeks ago, I had some congestion and stuff like that. You know, we take a lot of vitamins and do all that kind of stuff. Like my wife's really regimented, you know, we eat really healthy and she's like, so she made this like lemon something tea and she's like, here, take this before, you know, I went to the office. I'm like, I don't drink tea. And she's like, just drink it. So of course being married for 16 years, almost 16 years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I was like, you know, this isn't that bad. Right. It, you know, it made, made you feel good. Like all that kind of stuff, whatever. And, um, so for the next, you know, few days subsequent or a couple days in a row, she made it for me, made me take it. And then when I was at the office, you know, we've got all the coffee things and the whatever, and I don't drink any coffee. Mm-hmm. Coffee takes like dirt water to me. Like I don't understand it. <laughs> yeah. And, um, even though I love the smell, love the smell. Oh, weird. I hate the love smell. Love the smell. Like the vanillas and all like, it's so, so great. 
but uh so i just don't like it and um so anyway so so the the several days after that going up to yesterday i've made tea every morning and i'm like this is pretty good and it's been like a lemon herbal and there's a there's a gal here in our office that's a total tea you know connoisseur or whatever (laughs) yeah she used some other word and i'm just like you need to calm down and uh and so she's like telling me about all these, like, no, you don't want breakfast tea and you don't want this, you don't want it. Well, I was like, whatever. I'm like, I'm just gonna stick with my lemon herbal. Well, then the other day, for whatever reason, I was like looking at tea like on Amazon. And I'm just like, all right, I'll get some tea bags, you know, for here or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I found Jocko tea. Oh god. <laughs> so it is literally my first cup. It says good. That's so if you understand who Jocko is, good is a, a saying that he has. And it's white tea pomegranate. And it smells amazing. I don't want to burn my face just yet. Um, but uh, so I'm pretty fired up and it's going to most likely be the greatest cup of tea ever. So anyway, it was funny was, so I brought in, cause I, you know, of course, like when you had the opportunity to buy 25 or buy a hundred, I bought a hundred. Cause I'm like, clearly this is going to be the best stuff ever. And um, big Jocko fan, by the way, yeah. if anybody hasn't figured that out. And so I showed the gal here and she's like, what is this? And then she starts reading. She goes, actually, this sounds really good. I'm like, damn right. It's good. Like it's going to be <laughs> the best ever. So that's funny. anyway, so that's my tea story. So I'm uh, I'm now a, a hot tea drinker and I think it may uh, continue forward, which honestly I'm so happy about because there's like those days when it's freezing or I'm even at the rink in the morning, it's freezing. Like I'd like to go somewhere and order something that's warm. Yeah. And so now maybe that's so, funny. We'll see. Well, taste are changing first- as you age. <laughs> so, uh, Ooh, I like this. This is good. <laughs> so, uh, for those that have listened to our previous episode, uh, we got into us migration, um, so we're going to continue that conversation. And if you haven't listened to that, feel free to listen to that one first. It's uh, we dig into our opinions and our thoughts on what we think uh, is spurring this migration, whether it's politics, economy or opportunities. So you can hear a little bit of our opinions there. Um, and we're going to expand on those and talk about a few other things today. But before we get into that, if you will indulge me, Jason, I wanted to clarify a couple points of things that uh, one, oh. I didn't quite explain. <laughs> and uh, and two, we got on a, a I told you off offline, we got into a 12 minute tangent that went very vaccine uh, vaccine focused, um, which I ended up cutting. So <laughs> I feel like that was your fault. I don't know. <laughs> It was, it was. Oh, it was. Yeah, I did open the Pandora's box on that one. But uh, so for those that are that want to listen to that, just feel free to know that I cut that out. But if you do want to hear it, let me know and I'll repost maybe that segment. But to that point, you had mentioned something about the mandates. I think it was along the lines of mandates for vaccines. And Are you talking and, about vaccines again when you just told me we had to shut down the vaccine conversation? <laughs> no. So I just just so we're clear, you're the one that started Yes, again. yes. But I just wanted to leave this for clarification. <laughs> uh, so it has actually happened. There is legal precedent in the U.S. and Europe, particular to the smallpox vaccine. In the U.S., it was in the Northeast where... Uh, this mainly occurred, and they shut down schools and uh, and bars and a couple other places, like gathering places, and they mandated vaccines. And on top of like requiring people to give vaccines, there was actually a sliding scale of fines. So it's oh. like uh, five dollars for the first, and then I saw up to like fifteen dollars. Which way back when? Yeah, yeah, this was in nineteen early nineteen hundreds, nineteen five or something. Yeah. So like 
that would have been the equivalent of like a $90 to up to $250 fine today. Now, um, when you said the man, like those things went into place though, what, what was the mandate itself? So they shut down schools, which I understand they did that everywhere here as well, Yeah, which I would have said was more of a safety precaution, not a mandate. Right. Yeah. Did they do the same type of deal that they're doing now where it's like, you can only attend these places if you have a vaccine. Uh, I don't know, but it did. That was my argument, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they did require vaccines across Mm -hmm. the board. Uh, And if you didn't get it, you got the fine. Um, And supposedly smallpox is coming back. We heard that one. Yeah, because of (laughs) (laughs) anti-vaxxers. So so there was an individual and, and an organization that sort of backed them to basically take this fight up with the Supreme Court in Boston or in Massachusetts. And then it went up to the Supreme Court, who ultimately held that essentially the Constitution protects individual liberty, which is their argument, but not at the expense of the group. And their specific phrasing was, there is, of course, a sphere within which the individual may assert the supremacy of his own will and rightfully dispute the authority of any human government especially of any free government existing under a written constitution. But it is equally true in every well-ordered society charged with the duty of conserving the safety of its members, the rights of the individual in respect of his liberty may at times, under the pressure of great dangers, be subjected to such restraint to be enforced by reasonable regulations as the safety of the general public may demand. Um, So just wanted to point that out. There is precedent but that doesn't necessarily mean that if it goes to the Supreme Court again, that the decision will be the same. Now, do I get to offer one big difference? Yeah. The smallpox vaccine. What did it do to smallpox though? It yeah. eradicated it was the idea, right? Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not saying right or wrong either way, but that is a massive difference between what we have currently and what happened with smallpox. It eradicated it, protected you from it, didn't allow you to transmit it, all yeah. that kind of stuff, which is in direct opposite of what we're talking about right now. So that, that's my only thing. Not direct opposite, but to the Damn side. Close. <laughs> to the side. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Uh, so our whole conversation. All right, we're done with vaccines. Yeah, we're done. done. Vaccines. So okay. my whole, uh, this other point was derailed by that vaccine talk. <laughs> but I wanted to clarify. Bring it back on track, yeah. baby. So I go. wanted to clarify the point that I was saying that sure. politics are not as much of a driving factor. And not that these issues don't exist and people are taking issue with the political policies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the policies. But I think it's sort of manufactured and inflated now. The the Totally the motivation to follow these uh, because society has become so polarized, particularly yep. in the last six years and, and sort of the messaging has become super extreme. So like, for instance, uh, on both sides, no matter what, no matter what direction you mm-hmm. look at this mm-hmm. causes sides tend to glom onto certain instances, mm-hmm. put it, put it through the spin machine and the echo chamber and people get riled up about things that, may not be as bad or totally. they they typically would not have been so hypersensitive to totally um, so like the joe rogan thing moving to texas that was a huge story everybody made a big deal out of that and for whatever reason he decided to say that you know it was about homelessness and all this other stuff 
but it also happened to coincide with his $100 million contract with Spotify moving to a state that doesn't have state taxes. Mm-hmm. You know, do with that with you will. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk, uh, there was a whole big deal in the public about him moving Tesla uh, and SpaceX to Texas. Mm-hmm. If you really look into it, there is a lot of back and forth where he said things uh, both ways and made it seem like he's moving everything to Texas. But in fact, he still has the business here in uh, in California. Uh, both businesses are still here in California. He moved the headquarters and right. he himself moved, which happened to coincide with the takeoff of those companies. And he is now the richest man in the world. Right. And he did build particularly Tesla on the back of all of the progressiveness of California. Totally. So, um, so you have to take all those things into account, but I think those went through the cycle and the spin machine and they're like constantly pointed to as like everybody's taking businesses and leaving. And it just, I think is making people distorting the perception of what this actually is on a political uh, point. Totally. And so if we break it back down though, what I do know from business is Texas is far more friendly for business owners than California is. <laughs> period. <laughs> like it's not even disputable, right? Yeah. Like in so many different ways, even from you know the different agreements and how employees are backed versus you know corporations versus all these other kinds of the tax rate, like all the, California and Florida um, are terrible mm-hmm. to to have to have businesses. And there's one other one. I always forget which one it is to throw in there, but. They're just terrible to like, I mean, and not terrible. I mean, let's, let's understand what terrible means in comparison to what the advantages are of owning a business in different areas. You know, you could argue maybe Tesla wouldn't have grown to the size it was because of their electric car, you know, electric vehicle situation. If they started in Texas where it's very oil centric, right. Mm-hmm. They'd have been like, screw these guys. So to your point, you know, there's a lot of marketing reasons to do it in California, but dollar for dollar, it would have been more beneficial same income, same everything else for them to have been in Texas than it would have been in California. Just using those comparisons because those are the two that moved, right? Yeah. So I think you're 100% correct. I think there's always more to the story and reasons why you did it and all those other kind of things. But when you get to the brass tacks, legitimately, California's brutal. You know what I mean? Florida is not the best. Um, but I think California is probably one of the worst. Mm-hmm. And so that is legitimately the situation. I mean, going, you know, there's another business I was going to open up and you look at the tax rates and stuff that you have to deal with. And you're just looking at going like, why, (laughs) like, why, why would I want to do all of this, take on all of this risk to give away all of this and be left with half, you know, like it doesn't, I mean, it's half, like everything you make, you're only going to, and then that half, depending on how you structure yourself is going to get taxed by half again, (laughs) like, you know, from an income level. So it's just, you know, it's, it's really, really rough in California. And that's the only one that I really know, um, the brass tax of because obviously I live here. Um, but in the comparisons to others, it's very difficult. And so you do have a migration. Like, I, you know, we, we've been traveling a lot for my son's hockey team. And I run into people all the time leaving Orange County, going to wherever we're going mm-hmm. that are selling off and buying homes in those places. And that's literally why they're traveling. And a lot of those people too have been business owners. And I've been talking with them about those types of things too, where they're like, yeah, I'm literally moving my whole business. Yeah. And some of COVID helped that because they realized how much of the business they could handle remotely, mm-hmm. right? Without having to be in an office. So that goes back to some of the conversations we had before. So there's a lot more dexterity that's been um, derived from these times, which is nice. So I think even that's probably going to help with, as we talk about the migration of people leaving, 
you realize you can probably have an operation here, but headquarter somewhere else and reincorporate uh, somewhere else. Right. Yeah. Um, and pay, you know, taxes you need to on the sales and everything else there, but not have the corporation type tax elsewise because you can run it so much more remote um, and have the business licenses there and, and everything else. So, so I want to get to that one, that okay. point in a second, but, um, before we get into the rest of the stuff that we wanted to talk about today, uh, we got to give a quick nod to our sponsor. In the last few years, premium outdoor spaces have become a must-have architectural feature, and Infratech outdoor electric heating systems have become the brand of choice among leading architects. Infratech heaters provide energy-efficient, ambient warmth, that allows homeowners to live outdoors during cooler months. Clients love them because they can enjoy 100 more nights a year outside. Architects love them because of the unparalleled versatility from heater capacities and colors to mounting options that can either seamlessly disappear or accentuate a space with beautiful decorative coverings. They're also the only comfort heating company to offer smart home integration and hands-free voice-activated control. For over 60 years, Infratech has made their products in the USA at competitive prices. They offer incredible design and live technical support at every stage of a job. Infratech is specified at the world's most prestigious properties. Learn why and sign up for a free consultation at infratech-usa.com forward slash podcasts. So Jason, one of the other things about Infratech, zero noise odor or greenhouse gases on their units uh the particular one that stood out to me was the odor i don't know if you've ever smelled those <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah you know and, something's on yeah <laughs> when you're at a restaurant and they kick on the heater right next to you and you get that smells like butane or yeah. whatever yeah, yeah just you can totally smell it yeah so that's a, a big plus for for the infratech units um Okay, so back to our conversation. I did see an interesting point about opposing that this move is actually happening happening, or that it's anything new. So over the last, since like the mid to late 80s, up until now, uh, migration within the U.S. has been on a steady decline. It went from about 18% of the population moving around in the late 80s. And it was higher before then. It was okay. it was like up in the 20s, I think, yeah. uh, prior to that. Uh, but since the 80s, it was like 80, 18% down to just before the pandemic, down to 9.3%. Wow, half. Yeah. And the argument, which is what I've pointed out to before, since the 80s, we've had drastic changes to our um our economy you know the the greed is good mentality where the top has gotten a lot of money and uh the worker class has stayed stagnant for a long period of time and in this article their point is that because of the stagnation in wages people haven't been able to move as much as they have uh, in prior years or had opportunities to move. There was like no reason to to go and chase a job because the pay was the same or less or whatever. So so that's an interesting point. And then there's also been, <laughs> granted, this is like a UC system study, I think, but they were arguing that people aren't actually leaving 
California, I think to the point of part politics and being unhappy with California, they did like a study of like people aren't leaving California. Uh, I think to the point that because they're not happy with California. So they did like a study, small sample size of 3000, I think it was three people. <laughs> yeah. uh, and they found that the majority of people were happy with the policies and the way that everything was set oh, up. Oh, that's right. In a UC system. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Solid. So, so, so there is this, uh, there's like, for whatever reason, it's a controversy. Obviously, the two of us agree that this is a real thing and it's happening. But there are people that think that this movement is not happening. I love how people, and this is, this is, what, this is actually super important, I think. Mm-hmm. You can make data do whatever you want to do. I don't think enough people understand that. And I'm not saying you're going to take, you're going to tell people what to say, but when you go and you do a randomized test, when everybody says it's like a random sample or it's not a random sample. So when you're at, when you're, when you're a UC system, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is what they did or whatever. And you go into your campus and you ask people how they're doing, mm-hmm. they came there for a reason. <laughs> like, and so, I, you know, it's, it's, I think to me, and I want to go back to what you were saying something earlier, you know, we were talking about the vaccine stuff back and forth. I'm not going into vaccines. Yeah. <laughs> My point being, this is the kind of place that people need to get to. You're on a totally different side mm-hmm. than I am with the policies and everything else. Right now we both, but we both want what's right for humanity. There's no question. Yeah. And I'm on a completely different side, but we can actually have a dialogue mm-hmm. and not be like, you're an idiot. Yeah. You're an idiot. <laughs> F you, this and that, whatever, right? And I'm not so sure we're going to get back to that point with with most of society because to your to your statement, everything's so polarized, right? Yeah. And I think the reason it's so polarized is that example you just used with the UC system, where people will come in and be like, "No, the data shows. Mm-hmm. No, the data shows. You know what I mean?" And it's like, and, it, and it's like, guys, like you can manipulate data. I'm not saying you're moving somebody's answer. But look, if I want to, you know, if I want to get a heavily Republican conservative opinion, I'm going to go to Huntington Beach here in California. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If I want to get a, you know, super blue, whatever, I could go to potentially New York or something. You know, I mean, like whatever yeah. it is. Right. And, and I mean, like I'm going to ask all these questions. Oh, it shows overwhelmingly mm-hmm. it's this way. And this one shows overwhelmingly it's this way. Mm-hmm. It's not, <laughs> you know, and, and I think I think that's the funny thing. And that's why I look at it and go, OK. I realize your UC system says, no, everybody's super happy. Well, I, I always go back to like the actual like financial portion of it, right? Mm-hmm. When U-Haul is basically willing to pay me to take a truck back to California, but they're going to charge me to take one out of California to wherever a whole lot more money than they did 10 years ago. Yeah. Guess what that means? <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? There's the, from a, from a capitalistic standpoint, Clearly, I'm going to charge you more for something that's in higher demand. I'm going to charge you less for something that's in lower demand. It's basic economics, right? Mm-hmm. So I laugh when I hear stuff like that because I go and look at those things and, and I'm like, mm. or when someone tells me the economy is doing really well, I used to have this argument with Ali, right? I'm like, Ali, I'm looking at advertisements from furniture companies that are doing five years, no interest, no payments. Mm-hmm. People aren't buying anything. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing that. You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. Um, so sometimes I think we get drawn to the extremes on things mm-hmm. and we don't pay attention to like the simple things, like the simple, like, like, and I, and I think we've talked about it before where I'm like, look, walk outside and talk to your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Now it's a small, now that's a, you're generally, you know, Huntington Beach or New York, you're going to be around the same people that you're around. 
but at least you can get a layman's perspective together about where they're at and how they're feeling and everything else. You know, you don't have to look at all the data things that are out there and stuff like that. Yeah. That are, that are washed. I should say that are washed, you know? Yeah. I think it's, um, you know, what, what tends to happen is you'll see a percentage of whatever the report is uh, of the data, a percentage yeah, of people report. think one way or another, you have to look at, you know, what was the actual sample size and then try to find, I, just to clarify, I don't know that it, they actually interviewed people in the UC yeah, system uh, or where those people were, but uh, three thousand or whatever it was is a very small sample size. So you totally. can only so you can only hold that with so much, um, you know, weight. Grain <laughs> of salt, sure. Yeah. So both of us think that this is actually happening, and I saw that nearly seven hundred thousand people alone moved out of California last. Uh, so last year? Yeah, last year. Okay. So it is happening and it's happening all over the place. But where are they moving? You you hit a lot of these in our previous conversation. Texas, Idaho, Utah. So they're they're moving out Colorado. of they're moving out of Illinois is number one, actually, surprisingly. Uh, then New York, then California, New Jersey, and Maryland are the top five out Maryland. Out, outbound states yeah i mean i don't understand why people want to be in maryland anyway so <laughs> oh, to our ma- sorry our maryland listeners maryland, sorry yeah. <laughs> just mute my reasons <laughs> <laughs> and uh and they're moving to uh north carolina going in reverse order uh north carolina tennessee south carolina arizona we i don't think we mentioned but that's well, obviously that. yeah and then uh, idaho's number one I, yeah, Idaho's number one. I, you know, it's funny, the North and South Carolina, I think you mentioned North Carolina, or maybe you said the Carolinas. Yeah. People from New York going there, yeah. right? Those are the extremes right on the opposite ends, even though I'm not that great at geography. <laughs> but um, the Californians I know are going to Texas, Idaho, some to Utah. I don't have a lot going to Arizona. From my, you know, people that I know are usually on the mid to low income that are going to Arizona. Or had or, had or been. Vegas, yeah, yeah. or or yeah. Vegas. Um, I think it's more attainable. You can get more cost-effective property there. And then I saw research that middle class to upper middle class, primarily uh, conservative, are the people okay. that are moving from these other spots to like Texas to the more conservative states. Which makes sense. Yeah, you know, and not only that, from it like um. I probably shouldn't say this, but like my father-in-law, you know, mm-hmm. who who um, has done very, very well and recently sold a, a CPA firm and whatever. And he's, you know, we keep talking about different things like where they want to retire and whatever. And he's like, you know, at this point for some of the super conservative like them and what they, it doesn't make sense for them, him to keep working. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He's like the, the, the ratio of cost to benefit is so close. He's like, like why, you know what I mean? <laughs> And so he, you know, we were joking around looking at Idaho and Montana and all these, like when, like I told you before, like when my wife was like, we need to leave California, you know? And so I was like, okay, I hear Idaho is pretty cool. And, you know, post falls, I think is where we were looking, but um, there's a lot of people that have done that. The people that I was talking to that were getting off of planes that were moving businesses and, and homes, generally speaking, were in their fifties, um, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Somewhere around there where you still got a whole lot of gas left from a career standpoint, but looking at the next stage being pretty close about when you want to be done, you yeah. know? Um, and so if you are going to sell that company and, and whatever it is, you want to keep as much of that cash as you can. Right. So, yeah. um, so I've seen a lot of that, a whole lot. Yeah. Okay. So now why are people moving? I want to run through this list, uh, reverse order. 
eight reasons why people are leaving. Ease of working from home. Meaning because you can do more remote now? Yeah. Okay. So it's funny because on the way in here, I was talking to a buddy of mine that runs one of the portions for four wheel parts wholesale, who's a big like off-road, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked. And he's like, I haven't been in the office in over a year. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I was just like, holy cow. Like, you know, I wouldn't think that on from a retail inventory standpoint, you know. And and so he's like the perfect example. He's like, Yeah, I can go wherever I want now, you know, like that yeah. kind of thing. So try to keep going. Yeah. Uh and then just to sorry, this is um sorry for everyone outside of California. This list is based on California, but I do think some of this uh still it applies. applies. Yeah. yeah. Uh number seven, devastating wildfires. Uh, you know. As of October 2020, there have been over 8,500 fires that burned almost 2 million hectares of land in California. This makes 2020 the biggest wildfire season in California's history. Huh. I think we actually mentioned that Way back. in our in our. It, was, uh, it looked like it looked like the gates of hell. I remember like a few of those like images and yeah. videos where you're just like it looked like the world was on fire. Yeah, it was it was a spectacle for sure. Uh, number six, insecurity. Violent crime is on the rise, and many people yeah. feel that COVID nineteen lockdowns are to blame for the problem. I Amen. I Amen. Hundred percent. I don't know that the lockdowns are the problem per se. I don't think they are, but Amen. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Uh, that's that's a whole another issue to get Newsom, into. Newsom's fault. 100%. Oh God. Uh, I think there are bigger economic issues there that. Which are also Newsom's fault. Keep we, going. No, no, national. <laughs> that we can talk about uh, at some point. Uh, five, filth. Uh, I had been to San Francisco years ago, and I always talk about walking down, uh, you know, their main, like, commercial area and seeing poop on the sidewalk. Dude, I've, seen, I've <laughs> talked to people seeing it happen, and it's just like, that's brutal, man. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard this, but apparently it's called the doo-doo capital of the u.s sounds about right <laughs> so uh filth is number five number four social and economic problems uh homelessness is the the leading thing um yes really number three political problems uh we've talked we've rehashed that quite a bit number two is the housing crisis which i think is the bigger point of the housing crisis, cost of housing. Yeah, cost of housing. Um, and then number one, to your point, and I think you will have a resounding agreement on this, is rising state taxes. Yeah. yeah. So currently, the marginal income state tax is 13.3%, but legislators want to raise it to 17%. Um, yeah, you know, I was talking to the same guy this morning. It's funny. I don't have a problem paying taxes. I'm not one of those people that's like, this is crap. I don't want to pay taxes. I, you know, my money is my money. Like I don't have a problem paying taxes. I believe in the idea that like, look, you got to pay for public stuff somehow. Mm -hmm. I think, I think what's the most annoying part of that is you, you state all the things you just stated from a California perspective Mm -hmm. and the amount of money the state generates in taxes on its own. And you're like, more money is not going to fix the problem. Yeah. So that, anyway, that's why I think people get frustrated with that. I wouldn't tell, like a lot of times I feel like people just don't want to pay taxes. I think like everything, they want value for their money. Mm -hmm. So even if I'm donating to church, when I donate, when I donate, when we donate to the church, I want to make sure our church is doing something good with those funds. Like, and I can see it, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Hey, we're doing these outreach programs and we're doing like, 
helping the homeless here, doing that, you know, all, it's like, great. I feel great about giving funds to do that. Mm-hmm. If I never saw anything and it didn't seem like we were doing anything, I would tilt my head a little bit and be like, like, what the hell's happening to my money? Yeah. <laughs> and that's, and I think, I think that's a really good parallel because that's how I think a lot of us feel in California. Like the, the and, amount of money. other states. Well, oh, I'm sorry, this was California centric, right? Yeah, the, this the, one. But, but that's, that's my point. Cause I live in California and you hear how crappy it is and you hear about the homeless and like the, you know, which is terrible across the nation mm-hmm. and, you know, crap in the streets, let's say, or all, it's just like, where's all the money going? Like, anyway, so keep going. Yeah. So that was, that was it for the list of why, but, um, and I think we're both in agreement that, uh, we would prefer to have someone that is neither one, le- one side or the other, but cool. more independent, cool. uh, potentially take over and, and make some common sense decisions. I would rather have somebody that we say is a really good business operator. I don't know how we would determine that mm-hmm. and pay him 5 million a year to do it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, let's take, tell you what, buddy, let's take the average of what you made over the last 10 years, which means you were upfront about whatever was going on. <laughs> and I'll pay you that. I'll pay you that plus 10%. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, great. You know, I think that would, bro, maybe that's the platform. Maybe this is what we do going forward. <laughs> this is, this is my Jocko T kicking in right here, man. This is how we're going to do this. But, Fired up. Yeah, but you know what I mean? Like that. Like I'm, I'm done. I'm done with people leaning one policy or another or belief system ideology. Like, yeah, just do the right thing. I, you know, like you take that. So when we had the governor race going on here, I'm not going to talk about, you know, California specific, but just like the people that I was looking at, I was looking at business owners. I want this guy running it. Now it sucks because that guy, if he goes to do it, would take a, a haircut in what he was making, right? Because you would be detracting from your business for your, every, like I hope, right? For your everyday duties of being a governor. Well, why don't we just, we should be able to see your income taxes or your income statements. Mm-hmm. Let's see what that is. I'll give you 10% on top of that, incentivize you to do a kick-ass job and go smash this stuff. Like yeah. why, that seems amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah, I, huh. I agree. We should talk about this on another one. Yeah. I'll do, so, I'll do some thinking over the holiday weekend on that. <laughs> All right, and then I let's might be r- running in two years. <laughs> <laughs> now let's uh, let's wrap on uh, things to consider about all of this movement. Um, so we talked about this a little bit. Basically, the you know people are going to be moving to one place that has lower, assuming has lower property value or not property value, but um, you can get more, more for value. Yeah, value. more value. Right, uh, and then the place you're leaving ultimately you would think would start to devalue that by people leaving that location. So if Find you, if you're fine with the policies and the location and everything, hang out as long as you can, and maybe you'll have an opportunity to open up, uh, in that sense. Um, but to this point, I do want to mention one thing where that I forgot is that where I was going with the not as political part of it is I think a lot of the problems are just a function of a massive population in one location. So these areas were super popular at one time. So everybody flocked there. So when you have a lot of people and you have to try to manage all of those people, you, you have to have high taxes, hoping that you manage it properly and take care of infrastructure and all these other things. Um, And with that amount of people, you're going to have people that are sort of at the bottom, which create homelessness and the rise in homelessness. There's a scale. Yep. Um, So that tends to happen. 
So the image that this is a one side of political thing, I think is a false narrative in that it's more of a function of so many people in one location. Mm -hmm. As these people move to these other locations, I think they will ultimately end up with the same problems at some point, no matter who's at the helm. I don't disagree. I think that's really what the function of all these issues are in the movement. Um, So as people move, you're going to end up with these same problems in all these other places too. Yeah, uh, over, over a large amount of time though. Yeah. Right. So I think that's the thing. It's not a five, 10 year deal that we're talking 30, 40 years where you're going to, if, if the migration stayed the same at its current pace or whatever, or, you know, in a similar fashion, you, you would see, cause ideals, cause all the ideals travel. Right. And that, like, that's kind of the joke with all the migration going on. People are like, don't bring your crap ideals from wherever you left to come here. You know, that kind of thing. You come in here for a reason. But I think it's beyond the ideals. I think it's just a pure function of so many people and these things happen. Um, I think I understand what you're saying, but I would tell you it has to be a combination. Mm. There's no way just density creates all that. It's the density with the with the amalgamation of similar thoughts. Because you're because then you because then in my opinion then you have a majority that's that wants a, things a certain way, and then that will start swaying um, policy, all that kind of stuff. It can't just be density. It has to be a density of thought to be able to create change. Density creates change. Mm-hmm. In environment, but um, it doesn't create change in mind. You know what I mean? Like you could have the same rules that whole time. Density wouldn't change that. It's the density with the counter mindsets or whatever to whatever there is currently that then starts to sway that thought. I don't think it's just density. So do you think that an influx of people will cause taxes to go up in order to maintain the infrastructure to account for all of those people? Um, well, I, I, you know, does that make sense? Does that no, chain? No, I think, I, well, here, here's why, here's why, because either way you're going to have, um, as that density increases, you're going to have more funds coming in based off of those taxes. So there's yeah. more funding. The only thing that I would tell you is I would go back to the other one and say, well, what are you doing with the funding? Mm-hmm. So because there's such a miss, so there's a, I can't remember what the, what the, what the name of it was, but somebody was talking about the other day. It was the idea that like, look, if you have a thousand dollars in your pocket, you're going to go spend five without a question. Yeah. If you have $5 in your pocket, you're going to be a little bit more nervy about spending one or $2. Mm-hmm. So when you go into these areas that have less population, there's less of a pool of money to work with. So maybe you're a little bit more decisive about what you need to do and um, strategic. Right. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden you have this huge influ- inf- influx and density of people and you get you have so much money. I can't remember what it's, it's an actual um, psychological term. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it, there's, it's almost like the diminishing effect. Right. Um, so now you just start throwing money at things like, hey, okay, fine, do this. And okay, fine, do that and whatever. So then ultimately over time, you have a degradation of the value at which you're providing. It's a lot of diminishing returns. Is yeah. That it's not, for? it's not that one, it, but, but yes, it's that same. I, that's why we're thinking of that, but there's a different reason for it. Okay. Um, but, but anyways, so I would tell you the density and the funding, should it have the same values would, would be okay. Mm-hmm. I think what happens is the density and the, and the additional funding, the value system gets thrown out of whack for whatever reason. And so thus you then have the degradation of of that, that location or that area, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't take more money mm-hmm. beyond like it's, it's, it, there's a reason why it's a, it's a ratio, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, um, and maybe minor increase, but not 4% and this, you know what I mean? Like to where it's 25% of your already value that you're trying to increase. Like there's, there's no way, mm-hmm. 
but that well, I heard that a couple of weeks ago and I was like, man, that makes so much sense. You know, especially when it's not your own money. Mm-hmm. Like that's the other thing people forget. Right. So, you know, and I've seen that going from a private company to um, a corporation, right. Like having a different, a different uh, ownership structure. People looked at money differently when it was their own than when it's not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, it's just human nature, you know? Um, so it's, it's something to think about, you know? Yeah. And uh, the last thing to to leave on, um, you know, we talked about remote workers mm-hmm. and people moving because they can work remotely now. Uh, just something that's on the horizon to consider. Uh, Facebook has already talked about that they will be adjusting people's pay based on where they live. So if you live in somewhere that, you know, your cost of living is much lower, they will surprisingly adjust whatever pay that you left from to okay. account for that new cost of living. Uh, so not everybody's going to be able to, you know, leave their high tech job and go somewhere else and think that they're going to have their high tech money in a low cost of living location. So totally. So a lot of these, uh, people things aren't going to are, like that either. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> so a lot of these things are in flux, uh, and it's going to be so fascinating to see how all of this evolves think we both agree that it is happening totally. dis- despite anyone else else's opinions Use uh, system. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so we'll see how this all plays out but thank you again for the conversation jason That's thank, good. thank you to the listeners for listening and we will talk again on the next one thanks thanks again for listening don't forget to check out our sponsors By checking them out and supporting them, you help us keep this show going. Thank you to Infratech Outdoor Comfort Heating for their support of this episode of Spaces Podcasts. Visit infratech-usa.com slash podcast to sign up for a free consultation and learn why Infratech is the choice for bringing indoor comfort to outdoor living. Spaces is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. If you enjoy our show, you can support us in three simple ways for free. You can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on your podcast app if it allows you to. Tell a friend and follow us on social media. Thanks for spending time with us. Talk soon. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. 
from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.